Hey folks, if you've been tuning in over the last couple months, you've heard all about the Game Time app and how it can save you some serious cash on last minute tickets to sports, concerts, all types of shows. Want to go to the college football playoff? Want to see Oklahoma take on number one LSU for a chance to play in the national championship? Prices will drop close to game time, and you can use the app Game Time to get tickets to that massive matchup in the Peach Bowl. Now Game Time is hooking you up for the holidays with $10 credit. Here's what to do. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store. Click on the My Tickets section of the app. Create an account. Then under the billing section, use redeem code THEATHLETIC. Once again, that's THEATHLETIC, all one word, for $10 off your first purchase. That's free money, people. Credit is only available to the first 1,000 people who redeem and it expires at the end of the year. That's January 31st, 2019. So make moves quick and score last-minute tickets. It's not about what the outside world thinks. It's about what does, you know, what do you have in that room? And the best man wins, and you give everybody a shot at it. The outside world doesn't see the summer Monday morning, they don't see that progress, but, but we as coaches do. Well, regardless of what the outside world thinks, we, we believe a lot in our defense. Welcome back to the Outside World, the Athletics Oklahoma Football Podcast. I'm Jason Kersey. This is the last uh, pregame episode of the week, and for that, I'm joined by the Athletics LSU beat writer, Brody Miller. Brody, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining. Oh, thanks for having me, man. Uh, we're on, uh, what, day six in Atlanta, so we're uh, definitely ready to actually watch the football game. Yeah, you know, these, these trips are really fun, but by the end, it's like, okay, let's let's just get to it. But the media party's tonight, Jason. This is when the fun really happens, man. Yeah, that's accurate. Um, <laughs> but, you know, today was the final media availability. Yesterday was kind of the big day because we got to talk to everyone, and including people we don't really know or we don't really ever get to talk to. Today was just a... Lincoln Riley at Orgeron press conference that I honestly don't even know why we do it because by this point in the week, they've been interviewed so many times that it's like, let's just, I would be cool with just not doing it anymore. Yeah, it's completely just a TV event at this point, right? It's just a thing for ESPN and all that, to, you know, and I get it. But, yeah, it's like I was there and not much happened. It was a lot of just the same answers they've been saying for five days. I guess from the LSU point of view, it was good to, like, people want another update on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and his status. And, and he did actually, well, he said, I think he will play. I don't know how sincere that is because he said, I think he will play, but I don't know how much. I, I think that's – I almost wonder if that's a meaning he might suit up and that's all he means by it. But uh, I guess that is the only news of it. But other than that, I'm with you. It's pretty pointless. Well, I mean, that is uh, an interesting side story to all this because at least with, with Oklahoma, we we know who isn't playing. We know for sure because they're suspended or in Delarian Turner-Yell's case, he has a broken collarbone and he's not going to play. Uh, but in this case, we don't know if he's going to play or not. Doesn't sound like he's practiced this week. Um, I mean, look, you, you know LSU a lot better than, than I do or, or most people listening to this podcast probably do. I mean, how big of a loss is that for them? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a genuinely big loss in the sense that it's not even just the literal talent level. It's the fact that he does everything. It's that he's the 50 catches this season. It's that he's the elite runner. He's by far their best pass protector. It's little things like that too. He's the smartest. So the other guys behind him are really talented, but they're all freshmen. Uh, they all, you know, they all bring one really good thing to the table, but none of them really have much versatility or, or real 
you know, knowledge of the offense, things like that. It's those little things that they don't know how to do yet. So if you put, say, a Tyron Davis Price on the field, he's a really good runner. I think he's at like 4.8 yards per carry. You know, he's a good physical runner, but, you know, he's not a threat in the pass game. He's not as good of a pass blocker. So I imagine that Alex Grinch and the defense will kind of be able to hone in on some things when, when he's on the field or when John Emery's on the field. So I just imagine from a game planning point of view, it probably takes so much out of it. I'm really interested in the pass protecting angle because, uh, you know, Oklahoma is without their best pass rusher, Ronnie Perkins, who who is suspended uh, for that failed drug test. And so I've, I've wondered how are they going to get pressure on Burrow because if you don't do that, I don't think they have any prayer in this game. And uh, But it sounds like maybe that provides them a little opening if he doesn't play. Yeah, I think it's safe to say it helps a little bit for sure. I mean, that, I would agree with that. It's, it's tricky when you look at this LSU pass protection because they're number 65 in sack rates. That's not particularly great, but, you know, that's not an opponent-adjusted stat. So then you say, okay, they face, you know, like I think four of the top, you know, probably ten pass rushes depending on how you look at it. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But still, there's openings. But I don't even think the answer to the question is even about the pass block protection itself. It's kind of about Joe Burrow, right? Because you've seen teams get really good pass rushes, but it doesn't matter because Burrow gets it out so fast and he's able to adjust his game plan for that. And then you see teams like Georgia when they don't send many and try to drop guys back in coverage. Well, Joe Burrow just takes his time and then hits somebody 40 yards downfield. So we're at a point where I'm just still trying to figure out there's got to be a way to stop it. I'm not like, claiming there isn't, but I just, I'm just i still trying to figure out what the best angle is. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I mean, I don't know what Oklahoma's going to do pass rush-wise. I mean, we found out yesterday that they um, are going to move LaRon Stokes to the other side. Uh, LaRon Stokes probably wasn't supposed to say that, but he did. <laughs> Um, that's the great thing about Media Day. And uh, so uh, him and Jalen Redmond on the field at the same time is very intriguing. I think uh, th- those two guys are both really good players. Um, Jalen Redmond's been awesome the last few weeks, uh, or the last few weeks of the regular season. And so I-, I think getting him and Stokes on the field at the same time could be really intriguing. Now, they're not Ronnie Perkins. Ronnie Perkins is the best player on the defense probably, but um, I, I'm also interested, you know, in, in what they do with Kenneth Murray. He, he's been a guy who plays middle linebacker but can move around, um, has played outside some and been in a pass rushing role. And maybe if you don't have your starting running back, maybe it makes it a little bit easier to, to put him in, in the uh, outside role and put someone else in the middle. So I don't know what Alex French is getting cooked up completely because uh, they're not going to tell us. But um, Alex Grinch has been a pretty pretty good, <laughs> obviously done a pretty great job this year. Um, but, again, they have not seen anything like this, which I think is so interesting because we, you know, we all we often hear about the Big 12 having the best offenses, and they typically do. But this year, OU is playing the best quarterback it's seen all year and the best offense it's seen all year in a bowl game against the SEC. And I don't really remember anything quite like this. Yeah, right. I guess it probably kind of got going a little bit with some of those two Alabama teams and whatnot. But, yeah, this is a different thing. And, you know, I, I hate that what I'm about to say is going to sound like a rah-rah SEC thing. So before I say this, I'm not from the, from the South. I'm not a rah-rah SEC guy. But, you know, SEC has historically always had the best talent. And now the schemes are catching up to what, you know, the visionaries and genius minds of the Big 12 and the Pac-12 are doing. So now it's like when you're matching scheme with just ridiculous talent and and also just the the overall recruiting advantage of saying now we have everything. I'm just wondering, is is this what it's going to be like for a while? I'm not assuming that because you still got Georgia struggling to figure things out. Auburn's offense is still, generally speaking, not very good right now. Like, I don't think it's obvious that this is where it's going, but it is fascinating because LSU – is loaded at just about every area. The defense took a step back, of course, but at the same time, I mean, it's still a four- and five-star caliber defense. 
Right. And that's that's the thing that I find so interesting is that it, we've always heard, can you have a great defense with an offense like this? And you know, I don't know that the answer is definitively no, but it is intriguing to me that LSU has always been known for having a good, good, solid, great defense. And the year that their offense is number one is the year that their defense is suspect. I, I find that very interesting. Well, and it probably kind of answers the question a little bit, doesn't it? It just kind of says that it's prop impossible is not the right word. Thing. Probably not the right word, but it's it's going to just take a step back. I think, I mean, you're the best person to talk about it. You cover Oklahoma, so that is the best example. I mean, they took a big jump this year. So let me ask you, I mean, did they change do you think some of that is that they're a little more run focused this year? Like, what do you think goes into that? Or is it just simply, is it as simple as they have a great defensive coordinator and things got better? Well, I think Grinch definitely is a great defensive coordinator and made things better. I, I don't want to take anything away from him. But I also know that, and here I also want to say, like, they ran the ball a lot over the last several years. Joe Mixon, Samaje P. Ryan, um, Rodney Anderson, they, they, those guys all were great running backs, rushed for 1,000 yards. <clears throat> but. This year it's been different. I mean, there's no question that, you know, early in the season defense played pretty well. Then they started playing better teams. Then the first half against Baylor, they were getting just crushed. And after halftime against Baylor is where things really started to turn around for this defense. And really since then they've been they've been pretty solid. But you look at that second half against Baylor, and the reason things got better was they forced a turnover and then – they ran the ball and held on to it and played ball control. So the defense was on the field for something like 12 or something plays in the second half against Baylor, and that's the way it's been the rest of the year. So it's like, yeah, they're better, and they're clearly playing better. They're clear, the culture is clearly improved. All those things are true. But it's also true that they're not on the field as much because the offense isn't scoring in two plays or whatever. So it's kind of hard to figure out exactly what causes what, but – um, and, and I do think that Grinch has done an amazing job. I, I think Joe Brady was a very deserving Broyles Award winner, but I can't figure out why Alex Grinch wasn't at least a finalist. I, mean, I don't know how much you watched Oklahoma last year. They were literally one of the worst defenses in America and still made the playoff somehow. Yeah, I remember hearing you and Andy Staples on a podcast recently, and you were saying that if, if imagine if Oklahoma had this defense in some of those last two years' teams. I mean, just wonder what could have been. But, yeah, it's, the, the ball control thing, I mean – Obviously, it's, it's it's not as simple as, oh, they're on the field less, so yardage is going to be different. It's, and you know this as well as I, it's they're fresher. They, I don't know, there's just an overall, just the feel of the game's different. And I think these two defenses are great examples because when Oklahoma does that, they have they have heights that are really good, that look like a genuinely very good defense. And then their lows, and LSU's the same thing, where we've seen plenty of games. Texas jumps out where they're really up-tempo and things get, and the defense struggles. They get tired. They get worn down. They cramp up. But then you have games where they've conscientiously said, we're going to go ball control. Utah State comes to mind against Jordan Love or you know, Auburn game comes to mind. Georgia a little bit where they do a little more ball control and all of a sudden the defense looks like it might even be like a top 10 caliber defense at their best, which I think just tells you the question. And I think it's something Nick Saban's figured out pretty well is that there's just a balance to it. And that's probably the hardest thing to figure out. Yeah. I mean, the, the, figuring out that balance is absolutely absolutely been something that has befuddled OU for for years and uh and I, I don't know I, I I think it's really uh you mentioned Auburn early, and this is even a little bit off topic but like I have to say like the crazy thing about Auburn to me 
is that we talk about how offense has finally caught up with the most talented conference. I agree with that. Gus Malzahn is one of the offensive innovator minds in college football. What he did in 2006 at Arkansas was like, you know, revolutionary. And what he did at Auburn in 2013 was was revolutionary. What he did with Cam Newton was was revolutionary. And now it's just very funny to me that the SEC is catching up, and Auburn is not at the forefront of that. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I wonder how much of that is the quarterback thing, which probably goes to a greater question of the Gus Malzahn developing quarterback question. I think that's probably the root of that because, I mean, like Auburn's run game is over grand scheme of things pretty solid, but the, the Bo Nix thing, if you face a good front seven, you just try to put the pressure on Bo Nix, and then that's how else you won that game pretty convincingly. So, yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely agree. It is it is fascinating that some of these most talented teams are actually still so far behind. But to be fair, LSU was so far behind just a year or two ago, so maybe it's a relatively easy fix. I don't know. How um, How is, you know, when, when Ed Orgeron got this job, uh, he was, it was almost like, well, this is just what they have to do. They didn't get Tom Herman, and they're just having to settle on Ed Orgeron. Nobody, I, I didn't get the sense anybody was excited about it, maybe nationally. Uh, I don't know what it was like in Baton Rouge, but it seemed like a very, eh, well, the, what, you know, this is what we have to do. And here he has conquered Alabama. He's got LSU to the number one ranking. They're a heavy favorite, <clears throat> pardon me, in the college football playoff. I mean, where is that? And he was always seemed culturally, culturally like a good fit there. But, I mean, how is he viewed now? Is he, I mean, is he the hero in, in Baton Rouge right now? He's certainly the hero of Baton Rouge. I mean, him and Joe Burrow right now are probably the two most beloved people in that state by, well, Drew Brees, but by, by probably a pretty wide margin. And, yeah, when that first, when the, the hire first happened, it was, I wouldn't say 50-50, but there was a divide. There were the people that were like, we finally have one of our own, because Louisiana is one of those states that like really buys into that part of it. So there was a, a happiness that they got one of their own. There were some people that loved it. But, yeah, national people, and probably, if, if I'm just being honest, the more – like football savvy people were just like this is a bad hire but that proves how little most of us know because I mean but there's also you can't criticize somebody for being hard on the hire because there's no precedent I can think of for a turnaround like this there just isn't there's very little precedent for somebody just saying I am fundamentally changing who I am as a head coach that just doesn't happen and I wrote a story about two months ago that kind of dove into just the way he views things and you know, I talked to Jack Marucci, who's been with Bobby Bowden, Les Miles, Nick Saban, the trainer. He's one, one of the best in the country. And he was saying the problem with these amazing coaches are, and it's not necessarily a problem, but you get where you are, you think you're the smartest guy in the room, right? That's just how you get where you are, and you're not going to change that. Or you're part of the Saban tree, and you're like, well, this worked. I want to be part of the Saban tree. The one trait that I think helps Ed Ogeron, and it's something he had to change, is that he doesn't really think anything he does is like specific to him great so he just listens to ideas which sounds so simple but i don't think it's that common among the best head coaches mm-hmm. that's really interesting i i, I it, they've been a fascinating team to watch this year it's cool that lsu is kind of back up at the top because you know i remember those alabama lsu games in the early part of this decade were so much fun and um it's kind of cool that Somebody has sort of stepped up and, and challenged Alabama. But um, it is weird, though, that this is a college football playoff without Alabama. I mean, I I did not, uh, you know, I didn't, I wasn't sure it would ever happen, that, that we would actually get one of these fields without them. I figured they'd always find a way to sneak in. Yeah, I, 
I, I always would roll my eyes at the, like, oh, boring college football playoff stuff because, like, I want to watch good football. I'm, I don't know about you. So I always rolled my eyes at it, but I still get it. And I'm still, like, as much as I roll my eyes at it, I'm still thinking it is really nice. It is nice as a as a spectator to be able to actually just watch something else. But it is funny the people saying, you know, Alabama's down now. Alabama's going to be perfectly fine next year. Their entire defense was young players. Yeah, they're going to be back. They'll probably be back next year. Yeah. Um, it's been an interesting bowl season. Uh, hopefully it gets more interesting this weekend. I don't know if you caught the quick lanes bowl last night and how that ended. That, that is that, I, that guy will live in infamy. I mean, <laughs> hitting a ref in the face <laughs> on a potentially game winning drive with 16 seconds left. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like that. No, but that's why that's why bowl games matter, Jason. It's because we get moments like this. We and it, it's even earlier that day we had the uh, one of the ugliest bowl games in recent memory. It's like this is why I live for bowl games. The nonsense that comes with it. Well, I'll just say this: uh, we're getting off track here, and we got to wrap up. But I, I do have to say that my I loved watching Miami in the early two thousands. The two thousand one team is one. Of the, possibly the greatest collection of talent in college football history. I mean, I don't know if you've ever gone back on YouTube and watched just the, just the first part of that game, the intros of the starting lineup for Miami, the players that they had. I mean, there are three running backs, all three played in the NFL. Uh, Andre Johnson, Bryant McKinney, uh, Ed Reed, uh, Clinton Poor. I mean, just, just, re, re, yeah, just one after the other. Incredible, incredible talent. And to think that they are so inept they would get shut out by Louisiana Tech in a in the Independence Bowl, you know, two decades later. It just is unfathomable to me as just a college football fan. And I'm curious, like, how you view the Miami job as somebody who's been around a while. I mean, because it is such – this last decade has been so up and down, right? So it gets this thing in college football where it's like everyone agrees that a school's a blue blood type caliber school, but then it's so up and down it's like – do you fire it because you expect more, or is that almost, or is what's happening this decade proof that maybe you need to give a guy a little bit of time? I, I don't know the answer. I'm curious. Well, one season isn't enough to to, to justify firing Manny Diaz, I don't think. But um, but I mean, if they take another step back next year, I think you could make that case. I mean, um, I, I didn't think that Mark Rick should have been shoved out. Um, I thought that was crazy that they shoved him out. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that it's it's certainly going to be interesting to see what happens. There's no reason why they shouldn't be a blue blood with the with where they are, with the swagger that comes along with the U, with the recruiting base, all of that stuff. The 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 probably very easy time they should have recruiting people to South Florida. Um, I don't I don't understand why they can't be a blue blood. But uh, again, we got way off track there. But uh, that's my fault. Um, well, Brody, thanks so much. It's been really fun hanging out with you this week, and I uh, can't wait for this game tomorrow. Uh, I'll be back with a new episode of, of The Outside World on Sunday after the game. We'll see what happens. Uh, Oklahoma, two-touchdown underdog to LSU in the Peach Bowl, college football playoff semifinal. Thanks for listening.